my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hi, this is Jared Weiss from CLNS Radio, and I'm here in the TD Garden to talk to you about showing us your support in a new way. Now, we've never asked you for anything before, but we are looking to make a major expansion, and we need your help to do it. So now is the time to donate to CLNS Radio, whether it's one cent, whether it's $100, whether it's $1,000. We need your help now. What we want to do is bring you our free mobile application and then give you all these premium services that we've wanted to give you before, and we need your help to be able to do it. Now, we've been giving you free service for nearly seven years now in the CLNS Radio family, and we've never asked for money before, but we need your help now to make the big expansions to become the best possible sports network. You'll get more Garden Report content. You'll get more locker room content from all over Boston Sports. So make your contribution today. Go to www.beatsandeats.net slash support CLNS to make your pledge today. Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time, and then throws, and that is forced for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes, second down and six. Brady, quick throw, and complete. first down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. On Twitter, joining me today as always is Bob Snowden at Snowden Bob. You of course can follow CLNS on Twitter at, at CLNS Radio. Follow us on Facebook www.facebook.com/clnsfans, and of course you can follow the Patriots Beat podcast at Patriots Beat three four seven two one five seven 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 one is the call in number today, and we got a full show for you today. Of course. Matt Chatham, former Super Bowl champion of the New England Patriots, a former linebacker, you know how I like them linebackers, and of course, a special teams maven at times during his career, will be joining us in about 15 minutes. Also, after the Matt Chatham call, we will be giving away the grand prize of three Patriots jerseys, along with the Patriots Gazette account, at Pat's Gazette on Twitter, along with CLNS Radio. We've partnered up to... uh, 
get some followers for Pat's Gazette, who went over 5,000, and if he did that, we were going to give out some jerseys. Well, Rod did it. He did it. The old man did it, and he put it together, and we're going to give away some great, great gifts today to some lucky listeners, some lucky followers. We'll see what happens. But without further ado, I'll bring on Mr. Bob Snowden, and he's going to talk a little bit to us today, right now. Well, first of all, I'm excited to have Matt Chatham coming in to visit us on the show in a little bit and looking at training camp right around the corner. And, uh, you know, this is just the beginning of true Patriots heaven. <laughs> and the Pats fans that are that are listening in now, I'm certain are sitting on their edge, the edge of their seats, not only to hear what Matt has to say, but to hear what my leader, my, my guru, Mr. Boston Fat Guy, has to say about running backs, because you just released a column. I did. I just released a column shortly before the Patriots beat show started. A little primer into the uh, Patriots training camp and looking at the running back position. We all know how much I love running backs. Of course, today is about the defense and how to stop that running back. And do the Patriots have what it takes? Because last year, we remember, at the end of the season, the way that they were gashed up the middle by certain running backs, especially no Sean Moreno in that first game against Denver, a game that the Patriots came back to win, but also throughout the playoffs where they just weren't able to stop Denver's running game. It would be third and ten, and 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 Manning would just do a check with me because there'd be no linebacker within ten yards, and the defensive line was absolutely manhandled uh, by the offensive line of the. Denver Broncos, and it, it was a it was a run up the middle after run up the middle with draws, and nothing was done by the Patriots' defensive schemes and defensive coordinator Matt Patricia to stop that, and that's what ended. The Patriots just could not get the opposing team off the field in the AFC Championship game last year. Well, and they they have made a lot of changes this year. They sure be, have. Uh, it'll be great to talk to Matt and get a sense of what he feels. One of the other things we'll mention quickly before Matt comes on, when the when the Pats signed Revis, there were a lot of people that were questioning his ability to be a, quote, team player or for the other players to be able to look to him and work with him as they had done with Tlaib. Uh, those questions seem to be answered a little bit, Jeff, when I'm looking at different uh, reports and seeing that, uh, you know, he's training in Arizona. Well, Devin McCourty went out there for about three weeks. Logan Ryan has worked out with him. Uh, Tavon Wilson has worked out with him. So it looks like uh, that that leadership that was there with Tlaib will carry over uh, with probably the best or second best cornerback in football now that he's with the Patriots. Yes, very exciting about this and what's going to happen. Where where is this leadership? I'm going to ask Matt Chatham about the leadership on this team because he played with such Patriots stalwarts as, as Richard Seymour and Teddy Bruschi and Willie McGinnis, Ty Law, and, of course, Rodney Harrison. Does this team have what it takes in the locker room to continue on? Well, and when you when you look at this year's team and people keep saying well will this person make it or will that person there's pretty well only maybe somewhere between five and ten at most openings for people that make it that aren't already locked in and that includes on the defense with the players that they have signed with the rookies they drafted that doesn't leave a big hole for players who have not 
really been able to prove themselves to the Patriots. And talking to Chatham, you mentioned earlier, he was a special teamer. That's what kept him on the roster in the NFL. He was a linebacker, made some really nice plays, scored a touchdown, as a matter of fact. Uh, but that special team's ability, I'm going to ask him a little bit about that and find out, as these young players are trying to make the team, how important is it to have that diversity on your resume when you're trying to make it any team, not just the Patriots? Oh, exactly. And, of course, the New England Patriots this week, Amon Onstead announced his retirement. That's one less body at the defensive tackles. Sad story there. A, a kid who had a heart attack while at the University of Southern California uh, went to the Canadian Football League, had a, had a decent year with eight and a half sacks. Bill Belichick himself came in saying that he was going to be a top three defensive tackle, uh, was put on IR last year with a with an infection, he came back, played a little bit um, sparingly in OTAs, and then that was it, uh, unfortunately, for Armand Olmstead and, and everyone else out there with the New England Patriots. We will not get to see what this young man could have brought to the Patriots. Well, you know, and one of the things, Belichick is not known as a sentimental person. <laughs> I think we all can pretty well agree to that. Well, except it, if you heard the Teddy Bruschi retirement. Well, that's true, but, he, but while Bruschi was playing, he was as hard on Brewski as he was on everybody else on the team. And the fact that he kept Armstead available should something develop. And it almost, I don't know whether it was insurance purposes or what, but it's almost like he took him under his wing, despite the fact that he's never played it down to the Patriots. And when you see his comments about Armstead and, and how hard he was trying, that's not Typical Bill Belichick. So I, I, I felt he actually showed something that we haven't seen a lot of from uh, from the coach. He kind of, you know, Belichick's a human being, and, and and we saw him tear up a little bit with, of course, as I said, the Teddy Bruschi retirement. Of course, then when Myra Kraft passed away, you know, I mean, Belichick, we all look at him and, and think of him as the hoodie and, and the fact that, you know, he's he's no holds barred and all this other stuff. But when it all comes down to it, Belichick is still a human being, and he cares about these players and cares that they perform for him. Because if these players that he works with, you know, more than, more than he sees these people more than he sees his children, although one of his kids are on the Patriots staff, sees him more than he sees Linda Holiday, his girlfriend, you know, he's out there working with these guys all the time. It becomes a family, and to see a young man with so much potential have to retire and call it quits because of some health issues, I'm sure he gets a little choked up. And and Armstead, I think many of the fans were really rooting for this kid. Um, expectations were probably higher than they should have been when he first signed from the CFL. Uh, based on everything any of us were reading or seeing or hearing, we felt like he could possibly ultimately be an impact player on this team. And, and the disappointment um, and sadness that he's he's not going to get that opportunity at 23 years old uh, kind of heaps on Pat's fans. And you, you see um, many, many responses positively about wishing him luck, wishing him health. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any negativity towards this kid. No, I think a lot of people are out there, you know, they're just wishing him luck, wishing he wishing he goes forward and, and you know, whatever whatever ailment it is, I mean, of course he has this heart condition um, that gave him a heart attack. So whatever it is going forward, hopefully 
he can live a normal life. I mean, yes, he cannot uh, play football anymore, but hopefully he lives a normal life and, and we'll go from there. But unfortunately, he's no longer on the Patriots team. We have a lot of players to talk to on the uh, about on the Patriots team today, including a rebuilt secondary with Darrell Rivas, Brandon Browner, and of course the return of Patrick Chung. Who's going to step up next to Devin McCourty being that next safety? Is it Deron Harmon? Is it Patrick Chung coming back as as our as our writer uh, Scott Baines had talked about this time around that Patrick Chung needs to make make a go for it? But we'll see what happens moving forward. And and is this secondary enough to make this New England Patriots defense that much better rushing the passer? Well, and when you look at the players that are there, it, it is definitely a step up from what it has been the past few years, and we've talked about that many times on the show. Uh, Chung is, you know, no certainty to make the team. I, and, and as um, Scott had written, he's out to prove that he should be there because he certainly wasn't successful in Philly. And when he left New England, he was looked at just die by most fans. So he's out to put something. He's not a lock on the secondary because there's some really good players out there. Um, the question, and we've all had this, was without Gregory, will they have the physicality that you'd like to see out of the safety positions? Uh, a lock, obviously, McCourty. And you know, as you look on the right side, you have to feel like you've got um, a lock there in Harvard. So, you know, how much how much opportunity are other people going to have to play that safety position, which is important on this defense? Now, let me ask you this, Bob, before we get Matt Chatham on the line. I had mentioned, will the Patriots be able to rush the passer a little more now without, uh, without having to worry about the bend but don't break? Are they going to be able to rush the passer? Chandler Jones, who went from six, uh, six sacks up to 11.5, is he going to be able to – to move forward? Well, and I think the key to him moving forward, Jeff, is going to be the additions they have added to this team this year. I think that you know, he's going into his third year. He had a huge step up from year one now to year two. You've got Nikovich on the other side who is solid, um, and they've got Easley now. You know, who knows how much he'll play this year, but the possibility of having him in there. I just think the linebackers are going to be the key to that. Um, Hightower, concentrate more on that part of his position, which he wasn't allowed to last year. He had to play out of position with the Mayo injury. He was forced to try and cover tight ends uh, coming out of the backfield. We know how bad that went. Uh, so, I, I, you know, with the addition of Anderson, with the additional growth of Collins, I think the linebackers are going to be a key to the people being able to put extra pressure because that quarterback won't be able to just pick them apart over the middle when they get the rush. That was the killer when teams would rush the quarterback. And if you look at the bad stats numbers as far as sacks go, it wasn't bad, but that's not the number you need to look at. You need to look at quarterback success ratio when the pass blitzing or when they're coming on a sack. I suppose the killer for the Patriots is, you know, when they did quarterbacks that especially experienced quarterbacks had the ability to just dump the ball over the middle uh, to their tight end or to a back coming out of the backfield on a, a, a simple screen. Those are the places that killed the Patriots, especially on third downs last year. 
I really think the more athleticism that is there this year is going to allow the linebackers to cover those players, meaning the quarterbacks don't have the amount of time they had before, because I don't think anyone doubts the skill um, of you know, people coming after them, Chandler Jones. I don't know that anyone questions now that Chandler Jones isn't pass rusher. Um, I don't think is quite in the elite category, but he's certainly successful coming in from that side. And then you add the addition of Middle, uh, of Wilfork, hopefully helped, of Kelly, the two big bodies. So I really do think that this defense has up a notch two ways. One, players are a little bit more experienced, Collins in particular. Two, they signed Anderson, who is a tactical. Uh, out of the linebacker, more athletic. Um, Collins developing just in what could very well be an outstanding uh, player in the linebacker position. And I, I think it's layered. Yes. And the cornerbacks add to the fact that you now have Davis on one side, and when he comes in, Brown. I just think this team is defensively has really. Yeah, and, and we're actually having a little bit of a technical issue here, um, so we're going to have to call Matt uh, right now and, and get him on the line. So forgive us as you hear the, the, the dial tone ringing, but we're going to call Matt Chatham. <laughs> Technology has come a long way, folks, but sometimes it doesn't want to do what you want it to do. So we, uh, we're working on that, and I know Jeff is working on that uh, as I talk. We'll look with Chatham at some of the things I was just talking about because I'm interested to see his opinion on those things. I, you know, I can express mine. Jeff can express his. We're talking from a fan's perspective. Uh, Matt can tell you what it's like as a player out there and what the difference is between the layers of the defense and how much impact that possibly could have on the pass. So, Jeff, I know you're still trying. So I'm, I'll just keep talking until I hear you again. But when you look at the Patriots and you look at their defense right now, there are some players that are locks, and everybody knows we were talking about opportunities for, for younger players, and we all know that Will Fork's going to be a lock. He's got to be a lock. He's a first-round draft pick. The only way he won't be uh, is if his injury hasn't come far enough long and the Patriots can put him in an injured category, opening up some roster space. Uh, Chris Jones is the defensive tackle. Had a pretty good year last year. We talked about Chandler Jones, Ninkovich. I think Zach Moore is probably a lock on this team. Jared Neal obviously is coming back from his injury. Dante Hightower. When you look at Hightower, you've got to say last year he didn't shine, but he was being forced to were not in his prime skill set. So you can't blame him for that this year. If they can move him into that linebacker position at his skill set instead of forcing him to do things that were not his high top skills when he was drafted so early. Uh, Jamie Collins is the second year going to be the same developmental year for Collins that it was last year for Chandler Jones. I mean, just kidding. Tremendous athleticism. We all remember, or hopefully remember, an interception he made last year. I want to say it was against the Colts. But, man, when, when the Colts threw the ball, we were all thinking it was going to be completion, and he came out of nowhere and was Hello. able. 
Matt. Yes. Hey, this is hey. Jeff from Patriot Speed. How are you today? Yeah, not bad. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. Joining us on the phone right now is three-time Super Bowl champion and former New England Patriot linebacker Matt Chatham. Of course, he writes a great column on in Boston Herald. Matt, let's talk about the New England Patriots. I know Bob and I have some uh, questions for you here. Let's do it. Well, first, Matt, you spent six years with the Patriots, three Super Bowls in that six years. Before we start talking about this year's team, let me just take a minute and ask you, what do you remember as the special feel you had with those teams? Uh, you know what? I got un- unusually acclimated to winning. <laughs> I, think, I think it's one of those things in life where you, you realize – once you step away, and you know, also my experiences prior to that in college and other things like that, it, it doesn't always go like that, <laughs> you know. So I think in life, my expectation level sort of spiked from the time that I was there. I mean, we were at an extremely high accountability level around that building in all things that we did, and you know, I think it's positively impacted me in, in sort of other phases of my life. But uh, obviously, the biggest takeaway from that time was just winning and, and coming to expect to win and, and really expecting more of yourself and the people around you and all you do. Well, Matt, my first question for you is um, many of our listeners this off season had started talking about the New England Patriots linebacking needs. And, uh, of course, the top three with Mayo, Collins, and Hightower look a little solid, and, and they brought in James Anderson. But one of the things that we had college calling up and, and just throwing out names there of linebackers who were out there, but they were all older older players, and, and I kept saying that they need some young guys in there with special teams value. What are your thoughts on that? Well, one of the biggest errors I think that people presume is that because you're young, you'll be able to do special teams. Uh, you know, special teams is a uh, using the same word, special. You know, it's a it's a different skill. I mean, I, there's plenty of guys that uh, that can't do that even in their seventh, eighth, or ninth year, and just as many in their first, second, or third. Just because you're not ready to be a starter doesn't mean that you can, you know, cover kicks out in space or you know cover punts out in space or block well in a punt return or a kick return. Those skill sets generally have very little to do with whether or not you can, you know, make plays in, in a regular defensive scheme. So it's its own animal. So I think, you know, the, what I'm acclimated to, I think, with the Patriots and, and even with the, with the Jets afters, they were, they were places that, that liked to spend in that area. You know, they, they had, didn't have a problem paying Larry Izzo and, and, and guys like myself and Don Davis and Gerard Cherry and things like that more than minimum contracts just because they put value in that area. So I think one of the errors we often do is, you know, hey, you got to find the, the next big thing, undrafted free agent, and they'll fill in the special teams and you'll be great. I think it's more than that. So, you know, I, they have guys there, and I think this often gets overlooked, and his body type brings him awfully close to a linebacker anyhow. But uh, bringing Patrick Chung back I think is a nice addition to that group. Uh, he plays the up-back position on the punt team, which which is what Izzo did all those years and does it at a super high level, uh, and he's you know he's an active guy there as well. They lose Dane Fletcher, so maybe you're looking for another body type like that to to step up. Uh, Chris White was there last year. I know he was active quite a bit and did some stuff, but maybe he's ready to make the bump, and you'll become a little more aware of him this year. But um, you know Steve Boharness is another name to mention. I really liked him in last year's preseason. Very active guy. Looks like he plays well in space. Uh, he might be a guy who you see a greater role out of. But uh, you know that said, just simply looking for the guy that we know that's not going to play defense and let's presume that he'll help and play well on teams. We've got to find out if he can play teams first, which, which is something entirely of itself. Well, when you look at some players, Matt, while we're talking about special teamers, and heck, you made your bones as a special teamer. Not that you weren't a good linebacker, too, but that's where you really grabbed hold of it and ran with it. Is it, you, you just mentioned it's, 
either you've got it or don't have it, or can some of these rookies looking for very limited ability to make a roster that's almost set? I mean, there's not a whole lot of room in this roster. Do you see any of those rookies, because some of them have had special teams experience, having an edge because of that? Well, I do think that, that maybe having had done it in college will help you along a little bit. Uh, but the thing that often happens with guys that are coming out of college is special teams at the collegiate level is, is usually the backups, right? In the NFL, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, obviously my years in New England, Rowan Pfeiffer and, and Michael Vrabel and uh, Teddy Bruschi, they all played teams with us. So we, we all did that together, and, you know, you know we, were, we played at a high level. I think a lot of the times when you catch the young guys that come straight out of college, they were – you know, even if they weren't a high draft pick, they were probably one of the best defensive players on their team. That's how they got here. So you don't know if they'll be able to do it or not. So you know, maybe there'll be a sort of uh, a guy in the weeds type of situation, and we kind of go to these training camps and try to figure that out. I mean, that'll be one of the things I'll be watching. I'm I'm doing the game broadcasts again for the preseason games with with the Patriots, and you know, these are the things you kind of look for because those roles don't really start to declare themselves and mini camps and, and, and things like that. Special teams is like a full full bore, full collision, full competitive type scenario. You really don't learn if a guy can do it when they've got pajamas on. So uh, <laughs> it's certainly a spot where you're going to learn something. Uh, but you probably are not going to learn it until some live training camp stuff, maybe even the preseason games. And Matt, you were in uh, the huddle with players such as uh, Teddy Bruschi and Ty Law. Uh, Rodney Harrison, of course, Richard Seymour, and, and the way that they were able to build such a camaraderie uh, in the locker room as, as well as on the field. Does this year's Patriots team, they've brought in a lot of players, Darrell Revis, Brandon Browner, they've brought in these guys, Brandon LaFell. Are these the type of guys that are going to be able to develop that locker room and, and work together as one? Well, I'll speak to the one that I know best, and that's Darrell. I mean, Darrell Rios was there and was drafted in the first round when I was there with, in New York, and I know him really well. Uh, you know, I was a captain on those those early teams when he had arrived and, you know, got to know the guy pretty well and really understand how he sort of operates. I mean, he's a pro. I mean, this guy – we we would jokingly refer to, to guys like like Revis as sort of old heads. Uh, you know, Otis Smith used to be one of those. Uh, Randall Gay, who you remember here, just a guy that looked and played and carried themselves much older than they actually were. Right. So Darrell Revis walks in the door as a rookie out of pit, and, and the guy seemed like a fourth, fifth, sixth year vet already. And, you know, we're going through the course of a, a tough season, and, you know, he's just one of those guys that's got input, that's working every day, that doesn't make mistakes so virtually from the minute he hit the ground running. So I think he'll definitely be a leader in that room just because he brings credibility. And it's a different kind of leadership. I know, you know, obviously Tlaib had become a, a sort of a leader more by virtue, I think, personality and talent and things like that. That's a little bit different than the way Darrell carries himself. Darrell's just simply going to be the quiet worker, but he can joke around a little bit as well. But uh, he's the kind of guy that really raises the play of everyone around him. So I think in that respect, he, he's the guy that I think will do that the most. Looking at this year's defense, with the changes they've made, Matt, and I know you game plan game by game, team by team on defense, but with the style of defense, the, the Pats have been known for many years as a bend-no-break defense. Do you see this year's team, depending on the opponent, obviously, as being more of an attacking defense and, and less of the bend-no-break we've seen in the past? You know, I, I don't know. 
I, I just don't think philosophies change that dramatically. Uh, I, I still think uh, that this is a team that's that will not live and die by the blitz. And I know blitz I use in air quotes because it, it's kind of this concept that I think gets a little bit misunderstood in the NFL. But the idea that they won't be sending you know a fifth or sixth or seventh guy or anything like that. I mean, they, they I think they generally believe that they'd like the mathematics advantage anytime they do. And if they're going to take a risk, you generally risk more because you you don't feel like you can stop people by by just playing it straight. So I don't think you'll see some massive philosophical change there. That said, they brought in body types that are gapping, penetrating guys. Dominique Easley provided, you know, we're at full health here and hitting training camp. He's a guy who's going to be disrupted. He's going to be in the backfield. And he's the kind of player that is not going to play most likely in, a, in the old 3-4 style defense where, you know, all the each of the 3-4 guys or, or the, the down linemen are, are Six four, six five, three ten. Uh, you know Richard Seymour and, and Ty Warren body types. He's different, so you might see more negative plays, and I think that might lead you to draw the conclusion that they're playing more aggressive or, or something along those lines. But uh, you know, I, I just simply don't see some style change. Now, I think they brought in playmakers, so you'll you'll get the sense where they'll they'll mix in the occasional uh, edge rush blitz with a, with someone from the secondary. Logan Ryan got a handful of those last year. Uh, Deron Herman from time to time. They're going to mix that in from game to game, but it's going to be five to ten plays or less per. Uh, your your negative play guys, your new impact guys that'll you know make their plays at or behind the line of scrimmage seem to be guys like Jamie Collins. He's active in that regard. Uh, easily sounds like he's a, a negative play guy. Somebody's hitting the gap and getting in the backfield. Uh, but you know you're still going to have those control the line of scrimmage people like Vince and, and presumably Tommy Kelly and and things like that. So you know maybe you see more of it, but don't expect some sort of seismic shift. Well, Matt, you brought up a name that I'm a little excited about this year in Logan Ryan, the second year cornerback out of Rutgers. With Brandon Browner being out for the first four games of the season, do we expect Logan Ryan to be that starter, or is it going to be Alfonso Dennard? It's interesting that, that that you go that way because Dennard is kind of the forgotten man in all this. And we, we've seen this sort of shift where you know he's been an incredible value guy. He's coming in as a seventh round pick and playing pretty solidly as a, as the second or well, one of those two starting cornerbacks. Uh, you know, for two full seasons now, he's coming into his third. This is often a time where you know they they talk a lot about the first to second year jump, but man, he's he's a, he's a vet now more or less. He's walking into this this training camp you know, really ready to put another foot forward. So, yeah, I, I absolutely see that there could be a jump in Logan Ryan, and his role can increase, and they seem to like him a lot. But I don't see a ton of evidence that they now somehow don't like Dennard. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think yep. they, have, they have the benefit of depth, which I think would should have been the, the big takeaway lesson that everyone got out of last season, depth, depth, depth. That's really the only way they survived and, and sort of prospered the way that they did because they were – they didn't just have 11 people that could do it. So I think you go into the situation knowing Brandon uh, Browner's down for, for four games. And, you know, as, as part of doing that broadcast and sort of researching what's going to go on through these training camps, one of the things I'm going to be looking at very hard is how they account for that. I mean, do you because you need to get your time. I mean, Brandon Browner can't just skip training camp as they work with, with uh, Logan Ryan and, and Dennard and Arrington and all those guys, and then just show up four weeks into the season and be ready to roll. So I, I'm, I'm curious if there's going to be sort of that first two, three weeks of training camp where Browner will get some time with the ones, uh, maybe, or, or maybe they don't. Maybe they just keep him at second string and let him roll that way all the way through camp. 
But you got to prepare a lot of people. Um, so Browner's going to go through the situation where maybe he gets a lot of great, great training camp work, but then he goes and sits cold uh, for a month, which is tough. So how do they sort of manage that situation? And in the process of that, determine whether or not it's going to be Logan or it's going to be Dennard opposite, uh, opposite Darrell. So there's plenty of questions there to be answered for sure. Well, and when you talk about Dennard in, in a seventh-round pick, if not for his off-field problems just prior to the draft, he probably would have gone a lot higher in the draft. Uh, do you have any feel for his injury right now? No, not at all. And I think this is one of these situations where – we know a guy hasn't been participating in some things. You know, you know, people are not. You know, they're over on bikes or they're in the bubbles. They're not taking part in what now is the much scaled back versions of many camps and things like that. So, I think we walk into this, and this kind of happens every year. You show up as the uh, the media people show up, and and you walk and you take numbers and you figure out who's out there and not, and then you start to monitor what they do run along the sideline. Yeah. And it's not a lot of information. It's really not much good to go off of. And I know as a player. A lot of that's BS anyway. So some guys that are standing there way further along or way further behind, and you just can't tell. So we'll learn what we'll learn when they get out there and they start playing. Well, and many of the the, – and didn't mean to cut in on you, Jeff, but many of the veterans, that's why they could skip a lot of that training camp, the pre-stuff, and still come in and play great once the season got underway. Yeah, absolutely. I think a good example of that was Richard Seymour. Richard was always a guy who – was seemingly working through things. I mean, everyone's banged up in the NFL, but he had a couple big injuries where he, he missed most of camps and would rehab. I think there was a year there where he and Matt Light were sort of rehabbing together. Matt was rehabbing, I think, a shoulder and Seymour a knee or something like that, but they sort of work with each other one-on-one off to the side. And Rich, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it, it, it appeared to me, my recollection is that he missed a handful, but he'd show up on – you know, he'd show up later in camp or right as we got ready to roll in the season, and the dude was a monster as if he'd just come off the street. So, you know, it, it, a lot of that boils down to the, the guy. You know, what's his personality? How does he work? How quickly does he pick up? What do he needs to pick up? And, and quite frankly, which position it is. Some of them you can just roll right into it, and some, you know, might take a few more weeks. So it's uh, it's it's a very individual thing. Is Chandler Jones going to be that monster this year? And who can we expect to – sub him a little bit so he doesn't have to play 98% of the snaps. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if he'll be more or less a monster or whatever those whatever phrase you want to pick uh than he was last year. He was he was terribly productive anyhow. I mean, maybe the sack number moves, maybe it doesn't, and I, I don't think that's terribly telling. Look more at pressures, make sure he's in the backfield, make sure he's pressing and closing his side of the field. The thing that if I had one negative thing to say about the guy, and, and trust me, if we could talk about Chandler, I'd give you 99 positives. <laughs> but the only issue, occasionally they'll break contain on him and run plays. He's, a, he's an aggressive guy that likes the up and under move, likes the power moves. So occasionally the pocket will get broken on him on a run play or something like that, get tricked by some misdirection stuff, counters and reverses. So if that little thing gets gets sort of sewn up, he, he's very nearly everything you could possibly ask for him. He's one of the best players in that defense, one of the best defensive ends in the AFC. I think he just keeps doing what he's doing, and, and I like your idea of you know getting the rep totals down. Um, you know, I was not a pass rusher by any, by any stretch, but I, I did feel like there were there were years in there maybe 2003, 4, and 5, where where Mike Rabel and Willie were the guys. And, uh, you know, as long as I could get 10 to 15 to 20 reps a game at linebacker and sort of spell either of the two of those guys, 
if a drive happened to go long or if we got into short yardage or things like that. I always felt, and, and I believe they did as well, I don't know, but that, that it would ultimately benefit them because, you know, at the end of the day, 70 plays for one guy versus maybe 62 isn't isn't the world. And the last thing you want to do is in critical moments uh, not have it all there. So I think, uh, back to your original question, I think Michael Buchanan's a guy who uh, you know could could potentially do it? Uh, Michael, I loved in preseason last year. He really showed up well in that fourth preseason game. But uh, you know, I keep hating to interject myself into this stuff. But I, I experienced a little bit of what he did last year, where I got cut by the Rams. I came here in 2000 and was immediately thrown in in the first few games. Uh, beat a guy named Anthony Beck, a tight end from the Jets, uh, yeah. on a pass rush. And Vinny Testaverde, uh, I had him wide open for a sack. Uh, you know, I, nice pass rush, make a play, beat the guy, get to the quarterback, and this is low in the red zone. And Vinny ducks, and I dive right over. <laughs> so, and, and, and you know, and then the next play, I, I I screwed up what the run for was. I, I blew up the fullback. I felt good about what I did, and realized that that wasn't what the defense called for because I'm I'm in a, you know from another team in here just two weeks, and I don't quite have it yet. And I felt like that situation may have come up with Mike a little bit last year. You can see the skill. You can see the ability to do it, uh, but there were a couple times where he lost either contain or he was a little bit over aggressive and too far up the field and allowed the quarterback to step up. Uh, their general sense of, of comfort with end of the line guys is they want you to, to play the defense first, go make the super spectacular play after that. So integrity of the defense is huge. So I think he's definitely one of those guys, maybe as much as even a Will Smith or or some of the new names or faces that are in there that could make the jump by and large because he's been there a little longer. He, he, I would presume he understands the mistakes that he made from the year before that might have cost him some some opportunities, and, and now he has a chance to sort of go out and have a great camp and prove that he can contribute. You mentioned your time with the Jets. Looking at the two teams, played with the Patriots, played with the Jets, we all hear and read how detailed – Belichick is and that he covers things that no other coaches seem to cover. Did you find that to be the case when you went with the Jets? Was it dramatically different going through a training camp with the Jets than it was with the Pats? Uh, The the compare and contrast stuff for me really would be more with the Rams when I was a pup in 1999 because, honestly, New York was was Patriots South, or they were attempting to be more or less. I mean, we were – I went there when, when when Mangini went down in free agency. That just happened to be the year that that I was up, and uh, so much of what I experienced down there was just in green sweatpants as opposed to blue ones. <laughs> you know, so it was it, it felt the same. The itineraries looked the same. The practice schedules were virtually the same. It was done in a different building with different people, but. Uh, at that point of Eric's career, he was very much doing sort of the mimicry, I guess, or not not using that in a negative connotation, but just simply saying that a lot of it was done how it was done before. So sure. for me, uh, prior to that, I was a young guy, uh, undrafted free agent with uh, Coach Vermeil, Dick Vermeil and Mike Martz and all those guys. And, uh, yeah, that definitely had a different feel. Not not that they weren't detail-oriented, but uh, – just uh just different <laughs> i don't know how to say it but it's just different but uh, the great coaches in their own right but uh certainly a different feel and you don't get to cry in with bill belichick <laughs> okay and yeah. i have nothing but respect for dick vermeil <laughs> he, he, he loved his players uh final question from me here matt i'm going to throw it out to one of our twitter followers who uh wanted me to ask you and this uh twitter follower is at enemy d pet why do you think Bill Belichick will not trade for 
Andre Johnson? Well, I mean, you have to have a trade partner, and they're not trading. <laughs> I mean, that's that's step one. Step yep. two would be. I mean, there's this is one of those situations where I think there's there's so many reasons why it wouldn't happen that it that just doesn't get consideration. I think uh, it's not that there might not have been an exploratory conversation or somebody reached out, but then you look a little deeper into both the contract details. Uh, Houston's going to carry $12 million of dead money over the course of the next two years. There's, there's no way you're doing that deal unless you can uh, somehow convince the other team, the Patriots or whoever it would be, to, to somehow accept that. that that's, that's tough. Uh, that's, that's just not going to happen. Um, it, unless you're talking about trading people and, you know, in, in New England circles, that means people often throw out names like, you know, uh, Amendola or something like that. And I, they just think that's too far-fetched. I think generally speaking, they – if they were going to take on a $10 million contract at a wide receiver, whether or not that's real money or restructured money, the cash is still going to be there one way or the other. You, you have to somehow account for that. It doesn't. You can't just add 10 new in the door. You're, you're, you're probably subtracting something. And I think one of, one of the things that, that I think is always helpful when you're, when you're sort of evaluating what is or isn't going to be done at a position group is just simply look at overall dollar allocation. Look at where the Patriots are right now already. Uh, I believe uh, positional averages in the NFL, as far as just cap dollars that are that are given to a particular position group, usually a wide receiver that hits around nine nine and a half percent of of the total cap for the team. Patriots are sitting, I believe, somewhere around eight ish. Uh, so maybe they're a little bit below. But what this would do in the event that you bring in a $10 million contract is, is virtually double the entire allocation. Yeah. You're going to go from like 8 to almost 15% or percent of your entire team. So you're going to say basically, I mean, and that's presuming no subtraction. So who at this late hour are they willing to drop that they've already either committed by virtue of letting a, a, a deadline of some sort for a roster bonus that lots of guys have back in the spring or summer where there's cut dates where the cap money doesn't hit? All the reasons are uh, – you know, ways that these things generally happen have generally passed. And, and that's also presuming that the Texans would be willing to let him go. Um, so I, I don't think that. And I think another thing that really plays into this is just simply they've already invested, as we mentioned before. I mean, you, you have two new sets of new money that they've committed to. I believe Brandon LaFell's uh, signing bonus is $3 million. He's not going anywhere. And they, they generally don't spend money on guys that they don't use. So expect that he'll be a part of the offense. Uh, Danny Amendola is here. He's got capital implications himself. He's not going anywhere. And uh, they, they got some great games out of him, but they didn't get a full season of healthy. So uh, I think that's something they previously invested that they want to see a lot out of. And then they just reinvested in Julian. So those are three guys that where there's already money on the table, they're going to be on the field. Uh, and then in the year prior, uh, or in that same season, they invested in a high second-round pick for the tall wide receiver that everyone's always pined for. Those are four guys where they've already made either heavy draft asset uh, decisions or, or new cash decisions. I just don't think that a receiver of, of all positions is one that they would be willing to go do it, unless, of course, they had somehow through these off-season things looked at it and said, hey, we're not good enough in that area. I don't think they feel that way. I just think that uh, they were a little bit unhealthy, a lot of bit unhealthy at the end of last season. Now, presuming those guys are back in the additions of LaFell, there's not really a, a vacancy there, much less for one that would blow up your cap. Matt, we really appreciate your time. I'm going to ask one more question to Jeff. I'm sorry. Did you have something you wanted to follow no, up on? No, I was going to thank uh, Matt for his time, so you go ahead and ask your question. All right. Again, thanks for your time, Matt. Looking at this year's team, and as Patriots fans have really been spoiled rotten, we use that phrase a lot. I know you mentioned in your six years you got so you just knew you were going to win and it was a winning team. 
assuming, and I know what that means, assuming <laughs> the Patriots make the playoffs again, and I don't think there's a, a, a thought that they won't by any Pats fan, have they done enough this offseason, provided everybody's healthy, to take that step for that fourth ring? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, let's – Let's put it this way. I, I thought they had as talented a group and had sort of buffered themselves as well as they possibly could for last season heading into it. Now, they made a very definitive decision to go young uh, in the receiver position with uh, guys like Tompkins and doing the draft pick with Dobson and uh, not you know picking up – well, going after one of the more uh, attractive free agents that people were talking about in Danny Amendola. So they had made that decision the year prior, so they chose to go young then. This is the payoff year. I mean, this is the year where all of those people we see if last year's decision was the correct one. So, uh, And it's not that they just simply sat on that egg and said, hey, Tompkins will get better and Dobson will get better. They did add an additional piece in, in Brandon LaFell. And it's not a star player, but it's someone who's been productive who could potentially spike his productivity here and fill that sort of is he a slot receiver, is he Hernandez-esque or whatever because he's a bigger body. So I like what they did there. I mean, this decision of what to do with that particular position group was much, I think much much of it was predicated on what they did the year before. When they make the young, we're going to go young and you add small pieces, the payoff year for that is really the next year. So for the, in regards to that, I think, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have made new additions there. So I like what they did in the in the running back group. I mean, it was it was a little bit odd to let uh, Blunt go because he'd been so productive and running back dollars were low. But James White's a guy that I got to cover uh, with doing the, the Big Ten football last year, and I, I still work for, for BTN again this season. One of the things that I think fans are going to enjoy in watching James is I, I really think he's going to press some guys in there for time. He's uh, Wisconsin was a team. Uh, I think the guy's name is Melvin Gordon. They had sort of a thunder and lightning kind of situation, a two-back situation there. So you're getting a guy in James who's used to being part of a two-back rotation, and one of the things I found kind of unique is is their style. Wisconsin runs as much of this old style. I know this isn't great for radio, but uh, power play. Uh, it's it's a sort of kind of running play where a, a guard on the backside of the play oh, pulls yeah. into the play, and there's lots of down blocking, all that kind of stuff, right? So power is is a concept that the Patriots like because they've got a guy in both Dan Connolly and Logan Mankins that pull quite a bit for them. So it's it's kind of an older style run play but one that they use quite a bit, and Wisconsin did it more than anyone in football, and it's the kind of schematic thing that James is used to doing. So I wouldn't fret that. I would actually presume that that, that offense at least stays at the level it was, might even get better in regards to how they run the football. So I feel like the offense will make a bump. Obviously doing the, the Darrell Revis thing makes your team immediately better on the defensive side of the ball, and they have been the ones that have had to evaluate whether or not they're all these sort of injury situations that they're monitoring are realistic that they're going to pop back because, you know, they're obviously uh, relying on a lot of guys like uh, like Vince and Tommy Kelly and, and even Gerard Mayo with the shoulder or tricep or whatever it was to come back healthy. So um, presuming that all those things are monitored and managed and they, they come back as you would hope they would, I think they're sitting really well. It's just going to be as as with last season. Who, who's left standing when you get to January? But that's that's how it is with everyone in the NFL. Well, Matt, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I'm sure Bob is laughing in the background because yeah, you I am it. the hugest fan of of the running game in any 
point of football, I think running is is the most important thing you can do in football. But that that that's been proved wrong sometimes with, with passing teams. But thank you very much for joining us here today on CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. Uh, we took up some of your time on a Sunday, and we really appreciate that. And we hope we can have you back again soon. I enjoyed it, guys. No problem, and take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. That, of course, was Matt Thanks, Adam, former New former New Patriot and uh, member of three Super Bowl teams. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Chatham58. Great stuff there by Matt Chatham. And Matt Chatham's interview today was brought to you by at Pat's Gazette and at CLNS Radio's Jersey Giveaway. We are giving away three New England Patriots jerseys today on the Patriots Beat podcast. Our buddy Rod was able to do some nice things by getting a lot of retweets, and we sampled it all down, slimmed it down, had the fans pick who would be the winner, uh, and we're going to get Rod on the phone very shortly here, uh, Bob. And, of course, we're having some issues here with BTR, so we have to actually give him a call as well, and you'll hear the dial tone as I give him a call, and I apologize for that to all our listeners. But, hey, sometimes you do have to work around um, – you know he's he's probably listening in, Jeff. So if we just say, "Hey, call us in, Rod," well, that's he'll probably call, call us. All lines are down. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. that is our problem right now. Bummer. All lines are down. Um, so if you want to hit us up with any questions, you can of course do that by uh, tweeting at us at, at @PatriotsBeat. But Bob, why don't you talk a little bit more about uh, the Chatham interview while I get our good friend Rod on the phone? Well, and first of all, the obvious. He knows what's going on much more than any of us do as fans. And when you take a player who has been there, done that, gone through the things that he went through as a player, you have to respect his opinions. I was really happy to hear him talk about the uh, his, his prognosis for the Pats this year, and I agree um, that they are a legitimate contender probably if everybody stays healthy. But what a great interview. He went through a lot of things that uh, much more – than, than I had uh, thought we'd get into. And I appreciate him spending that uh, solid half hour with us while we went over different things. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the big things I thought he talked about was how important having a special teamer who has played special teams is on the roster. You know, we all look at someone like Matthew Slater, uh, who's listed as a wide receiver, but he's on this team strictly because of special teams. Uh, and and there are other players that you know Edner, they're there because of their their special team skills, and that's what made Matt a standout. Not that he wasn't a decent linebacker, but the special teams, as he mentioned, the teams paid extra money to keep someone who had that skill as special teamers. I'll be honest with you, coming into the interview, I was thinking, well, a rookie can pick up special teams, just throw them out there. Well, I quickly got shot down on that one, Matt. Uh, Matt clearly stated that, uh, and rightfully so, I'm sure, that you don't just throw something on special teams that hasn't had the skill or doesn't have that skill level, and just doing it in college isn't enough because the college game is so much different than it is at the pro level. So it was interesting to hear his comments about uh, how special teams work and how the players that are there develop, and it's not automatically a rookie. Okay, great. We want to keep you on the team. You don't have enough skill set to, to, to yet make our starting team get any regular time, but if you can play special teams, make the team. It's not just quite that easy. So it was nice to, to get his insight into that, 
and a little bit about uh, training camp. And although the Jets, and, and you have to figure once Mangini went to the Jets, that they were going to adapt completely to, to how the Patriots had been doing it. Uh, but how, when he was with St. Louis, how different it was at St. Louis. So now I believe Jet has our friend Rod on the phone. Rod, you there? No? Uh, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? We, we sure can. All right. Yeah. What a great interview Matt was. No, Matt was and, uh, Matt was excellent. Matt was definitely excellent. You'll hear more of that on a Patriots Beat podcast this season, along with the Patriots postgame show here on CLNS Radio. And, of course, CLNS Radio, Patriots Beat, and Pat's Gazette have all partnered up and part of our partnership was uh, helping Rod and, and Pass Gazette um, get to a certain number of followers. And in that, we decided that we would give away three Patriots jerseys uh, that CLNS will be sending out to three lucky fans. So, Rod, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, exactly what happened with the contest, and, and, and we'll introduce the winners. Okay, no problem, Jeff. Uh, I just want to say hi to Jeff and hello, Bob, and thank you so much to CLNS Radio and uh, Nick and John. They're uh, just some great people, and I was glad to join the family, and I just I hope to be able to contribute as much as I possibly can. Anyway, uh, we got a contest. <clears throat> if we were to hit 5,000 followers before the first preseason game, we would uh, give away three Patriots jerseys. Uh, as you can see, uh, we hit 50, I think it was 5160 or something that I looked at recently. And. Tearing it up, brother. Tearing it up. Yeah, I mean, that, that's awesome. I mean, we did it a month beforehand. And, uh, that, that's just awesome. And what I did was I had, I had the followers narrow down all of the uh, entries that I had, there was about 200 of them, and there's three left. And some of them, I uh, already know that they're they're they were. I posted the the screenshots of the pages. There's seven on each page, and one of the seven on each page wins. And you know they narrowed it down, and I've got the winners right in front of me, and it, it, it's it's kind of ironic. I, I, the funniest one I'll, I'll announce last. Can, can we do a uh, drum roll or something, Jeff? Any sound? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I wish I had that sound effect from Christmas Vacation when Clark W. Griswold's getting ready to put the lights together and nothing works. You know. <laughs> well, I mean that that would that would be perfect because if, if you've seen if you've seen uh, Matt Chatham's um, AVI, it's Chevy Chase. <laughs> the uh, anyway, uh, the first winner is Michael Hurley, and his Twitter handle is at Mike the Asian One. <laughs> I love some of these Twitter handles. So Hurley, he yeah, I mean, some, 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 yes, yeah, I mean, some people really use some imagination coming up with coming up with their Twitter handle. So it's at Mike the Asian one. Correct. Yeah, he would be he would be the first winner. So um, you know we'll announce it on on Twitter, and he needs to get a hold get a hold of us through DM. You know, for you know what he would prefer. Um, 
And number the two. The other one is Arr- also a Mike. Mike Bedell. At Wicked Mike with an extra E, 87. That would be number two. All right. And the funny one, number three. Brrr, my drum roll's much better than yours, Jeff. Yeah, it, it definitely was. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to type these guys' names out here. We go Wicked Mike 87. With an extra E. Oh, come on now. You can't do that to me, Wicked Mike. <laughs> What's going on, brother? I said Wicked Mike with an extra E, 87. I, I, it's okay. the extra E on, on, on Mike or on Wicked? Yeah, if I if I had say, if I had said Mike E like it sounds, you were to put E Y. All right, perfect. Okay, and, and the, the funniest one was actually I was going through taking the screenshots of each person's page of them being winners, and I got tweeted at on the Gazette account by the by the winner, thinking that he hadn't won. He was like, "Oh, so close, but yet so far." His name is actually Vincent, and his Twitter handle is at, I'm going to have to spell this one out. It's P-L-U-I-J-M-E-R-S. You're going to have to do that for me again. <laughs> at P? <laughs> at P? At L-U-I. Okay. J. Yeah. M-E-R-S. R-S, Okay. Yeah, and that that was that was that was actually kind of funny. I'm like, oh, don't give up now. <laughs> <laughs> and all three now win what again? They're they're a pick of a Patriots jersey. So any number they choose from the roster, they pick that jersey, and it's theirs. If it if it's available, yes. All right, that's great. You know, I my feelings are hurt because I can't even get a damn CLNS radio T-shirt. Well, but well, I mean, they're giving either, away you know, all this great you know, stuff. We, we're we're letting you go. We we just you just talk too much. Uh, you know you you don't praise me enough, and you just talk too much. Oh come on, kissy kissy. Okay, all right, kissy kissy. So yeah, Doctor Rose Colored Glasses is in charge. Yes, that's right, Doctor Rose Colored Glasses. <laughs> and, and he says nobody get nobody gets anything. <laughs> I get all the swag. That's me. I get all the swag. So. Rod, thank you very much for joining us here on Patriots Beat. We're running out of time, but anything that you'd like to say that we talk to uh, to Matt Chatham and, and throw in your two cents? Uh, I, he covered so much material, so much more than I thought he would. But I, one of the things you actually brought it up in, in the beginning of the show, with, with Scott and the way he looked at Patrick Chung bringing him back this year, I believe that the secondary is so revamped that he possibly could make a great contribution to the secondary just because of the, 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 the talent of the players that are around him, making his job that much different, you know, where he's not called on to do so much because, you know, because somebody else, you know, didn't quite, you know, catch their job coming through their zone, you know. Well, and I was also impressed, something we all had forgot, was how good Chung was on special teams. Except if you very remember true. the, uh, the well, big punt against uh, the Jets. Yeah, but that was a decision. 
I mean, yeah, he blew it. He admitted he blew it. Give him credit for I'll that. I'll give him credit for that. No, I'm excited to see what Patrick Chung can bring to this uh, defense. I expect yeah. a, I expect a three-man rotation at, at safety, uh, and this will kill our, our good friend and my Patriots postgame sh- show host, Patrick uh, Shankauer, that, uh, you know, there'll be times when uh, Devin McCourty's on the bench uh, with Patrick Chung Ooh. and uh, Gerard Harmon out there playing. Hey, everyone needs a breather, even his hero, D-Mac. Well, look, don't forget, I know we're running short on time, and Rod appreciate it, but let's not forget, and we'll mention real quickly before we have to hang up, that next week we've got another special guest, and I know, Jeff, you plan on being at training camp, which opens this week, and you're going to be with Mike Reese, and we're going to be talking to him on Patriots Beat next week. Yeah, definitely good things coming up here on Patriots Week, uh, Patriots Week, Patriots Beat uh, here on CLNS Radio. I will be uh, down at Foxborough next week. You'll see the big Boston fat guy, so if anyone wants to meet up for a couple, two, three cervezas afterwards at either Toby Keith's Bar and Grill or maybe CBS Scene, uh, just tweet me at Boston Fat Guy. We'll be down there. I'm going to talk with our buddy Nick Gelso, the, one of the owners of CLNS Radio, about getting some stuff uh, to give out uh, when we're down there that day, but we'll see what happens. But uh, Big things coming this season for CLS Radio and, of course, the partnership now with Pat's Gazette and having Rod on not only this podcast but also the Patriots postgame show and helping with social media, which he has kind of figured out how to do. Slightly. <laughs> Rod, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. See you later, buddy. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot. That, of course, was uh, our buddy Rod, uh, owner of Pat's Gazette. Follow him on Twitter at Pat's Gazette. Number one place on Twitter to get Patriots news and reaction. Of course, he has partners up with us, pushes the Patriots Beat podcast, and does everything else. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal friend and a phenomenal guest and a phenomenal person to be partnered up with. We're yeah, talk about have... kissy, kissy. Well, I like him. Yeah. You, you know, you're just you. You know, Rod likes. Me. He he tells me, calls me, he gave me a little cute little nickname like Doctor Rose Colored Glasses. You hey, know? I'm the one that gave you that. Oh, you did. Oh, I'm sorry. I I don't like Rod. He's a piece of crap. <laughs> Bob, you're the best. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Join us next week as Bob and not Doctor Rose Colored Glasses sit back and talk Patriots with Mike Reese of ESPN Boston. I'd like to thank special thanks here to Matt Chatham at Chatham58 for coming on and joining us today on Patriots Beat. Of course, if you miss this or any other great podcast on the CLNS Radio Network, you can download us for free on iTunes and Stitcher, and of course, tune in radio by searching CLNS Radio. And as you heard Jared Weiss say earlier today that um, before the podcast start, we're going to start coming out with uh, smartphone apps and this and that, and any help is great. If you go to patreon.com, check out CLNS Radio, and you can donate anything you'd like to hear the content on CLNS Radio. Of course, follow us on <laughs> follow us on Twitter at CLNS Radio, at Patriots Beat, myself, at Boston Fat Guy, and my buddy Bob, or as I like to call him, Vob. But we'll be seeing what happens there. I'm very excited about what's going to be happening next week as training camp opens on the wonderful day of Thursday, the birthday of Patriots legendary quarterback, Steve Grogan. What are your final thoughts there, my good friend, Bob? I was just kind of listening to you and relaxing. 
Only that I'm, you know, uh, next week I'm looking forward to it. I really learned a lot from Matt. I thought I may know something about football. He told me stuff that I had no idea about. <laughs> That's good. Well, as Just you, like you do. Yes, yep. yes. Well, right. as I said, we've had some issues with, uh, with, with technical issues today, so our outro music will not be up and running as we normally have. Want me to sing it? Else. Yeah, let's, let's sing it. <laughs> Down by the river. Down by the banks of the river, Charles. I'm just kind of humming along back here. <laughs> Till next week. Thanks a lot, Patriots Nation. We're out of here. Have a great week, everyone.